Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome to News and Views. I'm your host, Rob Schofield. In September of 2019, when Republican North Carolina House Speaker Tim Moore moved suddenly to override Governor Roy Cooper's veto of the state budget bill by holding a surprise vote while most Democratic members were temporarily off the floor, a video of Representative Deb Butler of New Hanover County loudly and passionately protesting the maneuver went viral on social media. In the end, Butler's quick thinking and courageous action helped assure that the override attempt would fail. But today, two years later, Moore and other GOP legislative leaders have still yet to sit down to negotiate a compromise state budget bill with Cooper. As a result, the state lists along on an old and obsolete budget, and a host of important needs remain neglected or under-resourced. Earlier this week, I caught up with Representative Butler to gauge her hopes for ending the destructive stalemates that plagued the budget, as well as a number of other key policy issues. Well, State Representative Deb Butler, welcome to News and Views. Good to have you with us. Thank you. Always a pleasure. My goodness, there's been so much going on in this never-ending session of the uh, North Carolina General Assembly. A couple years ago, you came to some uh, international fame for speaking out about an effort to override the governor's veto of a state budget. We still don't have a state budget. We haven't had one for several years. Any hope this year that we might actually get something going? And we're now, I guess, starting our fourth month in the state fiscal year. What's your take in, in on where In spite of it all, in spite of it all, Rob, I remain optimistic. You know, my glass is always half full. <laughs> in spite of the evidence to the contrary, I had hoped the governor would be involved earlier in a more meaningful way. They continue to give lip service to the fact that they're going to include him. At some point, I hope they do that because, listen, he's a real smart fella. And I feel like more minds on this budget, more eyes, more ideas is only going to benefit North Carolina. So I hope he gets in the mix sooner than later. And because uh, he'd love to sign a budget, so would we all love to vote for one, as long as it doesn't have a lot of pork and a lot of bad policy. You see, that's the trouble always. Yeah. If it was just about the dollars, we could probably fight legitimately. But when you get in the policy business in a budget, you run into uh, difficult territory. Yeah, it seems that it's been pretty much a trend throughout the last several years in the General Assembly that we include lots of substantive law changes in the omnibus budget bill that really don't have anything to do with spending. But you're sort of put in this position as someone who wasn't a part of that to vote yay or nay on, you know, some big substantive changes to the law that should have gone through a more traditional committee process, but sort of just wind up through the dark of night, end up in these massive budget bills. Well, I tell you, if being in the minority has taught me anything, Rob, it's how not to govern, because you're exactly right. You know, yeah, I want to vote for a budget that has all these great things in it. I want to vote for the Brody School of Medicine. I want to vote for a lot of things. But I don't want to talk about, you know, the the poison pills that are in between the layers of the dollars. And that's what where, where we run into a stumbling block. So we'll see what the final product looks like. Another issue, obviously, that's so dominant in our public discussion right now is the pandemic. The fact that things continue, we continue to have debates over basic sort of public health practices like vaccines and masks. It seems as if the General Assembly has just sort of moved on. I don't get the sense that there's a lot of discussion going on anymore about the pandemic or any sort of affirmative steps we're taking either to cope with the physical reality of the pandemic or to help those people who continue to struggle economically, socially, as a result of the pandemic. It's um, baffling to me also because we go into this confined space. Half of the room is masked, half is not. I mean, one of our colleagues was in the intensive care unit and yet and still we have not made masks mandatory inside that building. To me, that is just unconscionable. 
And I just do the best I can. I mask mm-hmm. up and sanitize and try to stay away from people that I, I think might not embrace vaccinations. <laughs> I don't know. A little hazardous duty pay might be in order for some of our from some of our lawmakers. That's right. Two of the big issues, of course, in response to the pandemic have been the expiration of the eviction moratoria and the expiration of extended federal unemployment insurance benefits. So we some of that stuff starting to hit the fan right now. We know a lot of people continue to struggle. Are there things that you think that the state should be doing to address these ongoing this ongoing suffering that we see in our communities? You know, as is always the case, a pandemic, a downturn in the economy, it always hits those who struggle already even worse. And these are the very folks upon whose backs we were carried, curiously enough. You know, the the essential workers, the people who had to show up and bag those groceries and deliver them and do all the yeoman's work. So whatever we can do, I would love to see our unemployment insurance as an example. It needs an extreme overhaul. It is the worst, stingiest, shortest in the whole country. And that's an embarrassment. We have right now in North Carolina, thankfully, a wealth of riches. And it's just not fair to burden those who are already burdened and fail to help them. I'm always very uh, embarrassed to say that we only give a nominal amount of money and for a very short period of time. I don't know how people survive, honestly. We're talking with State Representative Deb Butler of State House District 18 in New Hanover County. She's part of the House Democratic Leadership Team. She also serves as Democratic Whip. Another issue, of course, that's front and center right now is the Leandro court case and the requirement under our Constitution to provide children with a sound basic education. We've got a judge who says, dadgummit, we're going to do this. And we have some uh, leaders in the Republican Party in the General Assembly say, "Eh, maybe, maybe not. We're probably not going to do what the court tells us to do in terms of complying with the Constitution. Are we at loggerheads? Are we going to have some sort of a constitutional showdown here in the coming days and weeks? You know, I think we're in kind of perilous territory in this country. And you and I have discussed this offline before. You know, when people begin to lose respect for the institutions and for the purview of authority in each of the respective branches of government or who are not going to follow a judicial edict, for Pete's sakes, what what are we talking about here? If we can't agree on the truth and on the balance of powers and whose responsibilities are whose and have respect for that balance, my goodness, I just don't understand precisely why these institutions appear to be eroding. But I do think it's based in large part on an unwillingness to tell the truth fundamentally. And we'll see where we go on this. But I think we're all going around scratching our head about half the time. But I know one thing, I'll continue to tell the truth, and I know you will too. Well, I appreciate that. The strange thing, of course, is in this context is that it seems as if the state coffers are pretty full. We probably could afford this. We could probably afford to do a lot of other things, thanks to the largesse of the federal government and the fact that a lot of wealthy people did pretty doggone well during the pandemic and their incomes are up. We seem to have plenty of revenues, but I'm perplexed by, I mean, the, the need, it seems, in public education is hard to deny. There are so many schools, probably in your area, that are struggling to get by, struggling to retain teachers, struggling to have decent facilities. I'm, I'm, I'm always sort of amazed that we, this doesn't seem like sort of basic government 101 to fund our public schools. Well, and when we don't do it adequately, you find places, urban environments primarily, New Hanover being one, Mecklenburg, Wake, these places subsidize the public education by their tax dollars. And it's not fair or appropriate, but what does that do? That leaves a lot of these rural places out of luck or having substandard. Well, Leandro found that 
very thing. Yeah. And so it's constitutionally mandated. A judge for years has studied the issue and has come to this determination. And why on earth we wouldn't want to invest in our children, all of our children, is beyond me. But there seems to be this penchant for the privatization of everything, Rob. Yeah. And there are just certain things that private entities don't do as well as government. And educating all of our children is one of them. Another issue, obviously, that's front and center right now, as we record this, we're preparing to have a redistricting hearing, the last or next to last of several that have taken place in recent weeks. This one will be taking place in your neck of the woods. Is there any optimism that we might actually get something approximating fair maps, or is this pretty much a process we're going through that will ultimately result in a new series of gerrymandered maps designed to maintain Republican majorities? Any thoughts on that? I have to say, I wish that these public hearings were, they have the feel of a dog and pony show. I'll just yeah. say it. Yeah. Uh, because how are you going to have meaningful public input, right, when you haven't presented anybody with a map? <laughs> so in other words, if I don't have a map to look at, I'm just talking about broad Generalities. principles. I'm talking yeah. about broad principles. I'm going to use the, I'm going to say, I want the process to be transparent. I want fair maps. But if I had a map to look at, I could say, hey, wait a minute, what are you doing splitting the UNCW campus, for example? And hey, wait a minute, New Hanover County should have two house districts, our population warrants it, and Brunswick County, which is part of our county clustering group, should have two. But you watch, they're going to rig that around so that there won't be as many competitive districts, and New Hanover (laughs) should also be one senatorial district. But you watch, there'll be a handful of traditional Democrats carved out of downtown Wilmington. So listen, this should have been put in the hands of an independent commission long ago. We all know it. And when you're in power, it's hard to cede that power. But uh, like so many other Democrats, I have taken a pledge essentially to say that's the better way to go. And I will honor that if and when we ever get a chance to draw these maps ourselves. And we'll keep our fingers crossed on that front. As we come to the end of our time with State Representative Deb Butler, you mentioned UNCW's campus. I wanted to at least give you a chance to respond or react to the fact that we've had the chancellor, Jose Sartorelli, uh, announced recently that he plans to retire. And obviously the the debate over the control of our university system and our individual campuses remains a, a hot topic these days, the politicization of higher education. Any hopes and expectations as to what might happen in your hometown university campus in the coming uh, weeks and months? I wish we could remember what the purpose of universities was in the first place. You know what? We want our young people to go there to have a time of learning where they're unfettered by politics and constrained by all of the layers of theory that come down from others. It's a time of self-exploration and you know, I um, I know that the chancellor had had some health challenges. I know that the, there's been some resignations on the board, at least one that I know of. This would be a great time to rebuild and try to refocus on the purpose of a university and how to build morale among staff, because I hear that's pretty low, too. I'm going to go back to that glass half full situation <laughs> and say that I hope that it will be an opportunity to begin anew in a very positive way, because they are a linchpin of our community. They are a source of great pride for us. And I want them to survive and to thrive and to have a great learning situation there at UNCW. So I I support them fully and hope that they take this as an opportunity. 
Well, it seems like a hopeful note to end our conversation. Uh, we, we really appreciate your optimism. We appreciate your leadership. We hope that in the months and years ahead, you get an opportunity to, to um, exercise even more of those skills that you bring to leadership in our state. Thanks so much for all your fine work. And we'll look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you, Rob. From your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> Thank you so much. Coming up next, a special two-part conversation with the author of a powerful and important new book about the University of North Carolina. Stay with us. 